Hello and welcome back to another episode of Let Loose With Moose. Today, I have a very, very special guest. It's Steven from DeFi Dojo, also known as the Calculator Guy. Hi, Steven. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for coming. So maybe you can start off with your self-introduction and a bit of your background as well. <laughs> sure. So my, my background is a little bit weird, um, but I'll start with my immediate background. So I have been in DeFi for, I don't know, almost... Almost three years now. Wow, holy cow. Uh, and like full-time DeFi, like it has been my job. It's been amazing. So I started off as someone building like calculators or spreadsheets for a bunch of these really degen protocols back in like DeFi summer. And that was a blast. And it was a lot of fun to make those. Uh, but I quickly realized that these like these degen protocols don't have sustainable tokenomics. And so I had to sort of learn uh, tokenomics and learn, I guess, economics that goes along with it, you know, supply, demand, what, what it means to be hyperinflationary. Uh, how you can't just have a million percent APY forever and everyone gets happy. It's just not how it works. Uh, so slowly but surely, I started to understand like risk reward and uh, you know smart contracts and what it means to get rugged and what it means to get um, hacked and exploited. And after getting beat up and beat up and beat up time and time again, not just myself, <laughs> but also like the people who were early adapters of the community, uh, we definitely grew a ton. Now I think I have we have the most like robust uh, risk adverse um, intellectual like strategic community in DeFi and and I say that not not to like boost myself because I am certainly not the smartest person in the DeFi <laughs> dojo. Uh, I will often say that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, 100% in the DeFi dojo, I am never the smartest person in any of those channels. So I have been blessed enough to, to curate this really, really powerful, intelligent community. Um, and uh, that's sort of, that is my main source of like what I do now. However, I also have a, a data science firm or data analysis firm uh, that I run uh, with a partner of mine. And we effectively like, craft strategies um, and help people analyze yields for specific vaults. Uh, one of the vaults that we've worked on most recently is the Real Yield ETH vault on Sommelier, or Sommelier, sorry. Uh, and that has like s almost 7 million TVL, which we're really proud of. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like 11% yield on ETH, all real yield. So, you know, we're really happy with the way, uh, our, our analytics have, have produced this really interesting product. Nice. Thank you for the fantastic introduction, man. I remember like my first impression of you, like the first time I came across your name was from one of the videos from Whitebot Crypto, like you were a guest explaining, I think it was impermanent loss or something. And that was like the first on whiteboard time crypto. I, I was it. probably explaining ohm. <laughs> All right, or maybe it was ohm. I think so. Yeah, that was like super long ago. And then like now you're here with me having this call, man. I'm so honored to have you on. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Uh, yeah, it's really really cool to be here. Thank you. Right, and maybe you could get a little bit into how you started actually diving into crypto. Like what got you exposed to it, and what was like the first project first DeFi project that you used? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I was a college kid once. Uh, I definitely experimented a lot in college. I uh, I had a philosophy degree and an English degree from the university I went to. I also have a computer wow. science degree, but that was afterwards. Um, wow. So, you know, I like, to, I, I like to say that in university, I sort of like majored in drugs. I don't, I don't do drugs <laughs> anymore. You know, I'm married, I have three kids. But at that time, there was this thing called the Silk Road. And many people in crypto know about it. Many people who are new uh, to crypto, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but basically you could buy all sorts of things on the dark web using BTC 
this was before Ethereum was even invented. And, you know, so we would like friends of mine, let's say, would buy a Bitcoin for like $37. And then, you know, they'd go and buy whatever they wanted uh, on the dark web and it would get shipped to them. And we were like, oh my God, this is the craziest thing. And then like the next time they went to do that, they're like, why is Bitcoin $67? I thought it was $35. Uh, and so like my, my brain said, hold, hold up, this asset has increased in value by two X in like the past three weeks. This is insane. And mm -hmm. then I forgot about it and didn't really think about it because again, you know, I was doing way too many drugs to think about investing <laughs> at the time. Uh, I do not recommend doing that. Um, you know, living without drugs is a much better way of life, but you know, it was college. So fast forward a few more years, uh, I still had known about Bitcoin and, and, you know, I heard about Ethereum. Ethereum was like this new sort of interesting asset. This is probably 2000. 16 uh when ethereum hit like 250 i was like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna liquidate some assets i was like you know a, a poor teacher father of one i guess at that point so didn't have a ton of money but i was like let me buy some of this ethereum and i did and it went really well and i was like okay this is awesome uh and you know i tried trading i was terrible at it because i had never <laughs> done any technical analysis and i just thought you know i'm a smart enough guy if you're smart you can do anything right um, that's just not how it works. You can't just think that if you're smart, you can trade without doing any research, without learning technical analysis at all. So I, I rode the wave up. I, you know, had an exit, uh, made, you know, a couple thousand dollars, which was a lot to me at the time, um, but then sort of left during the bear, bear market. Then I got reintroduced to it around 2019 when DeFi started popping off. I think this is late 2018, hard to say. Uh, yeah, if I was maybe late 2018, but when DeFi started to, to grow again, right? Uniswap, I believe was 2018. Um, then you had a lot of like, I think SafeMoon. Uh, I wanted to figure out how to buy SafeMoon and I had to create a non-custodial wallet to do that. I use like trust wallet. SafeMoon is the stupidest asset, but like that was what onboarded me into this uh, this space of DeFi. Um, one of my like, my, my sad sob stories is I saw a Reddit post saying you should buy SHIB. Uh, it's going to be like the Ethereum Doge. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, I want to do that. And this is like back when SHIB's market cap was, was below 4 million. Uh, so I was like, okay, let me go buy this Doge on Ethereum. Um, and I had no idea what that really meant. And because I had to like create a MetaMask address and like gas would have been like four or $5. I was like, this is a huge ripoff. I'm not going to do this. This is ridiculous. Of course, you know, a thousand dollar investment then would make me like a millionaire today. Uh, and I do regret not buying it, but you live and you learn. So <laughs> anyways, eventually I got into DeFi protocols. I, I started talking on telegrams and discords and that's really what drew me in. Uh, and after that, it was just like the love of math. And also like, you know, I had a, a job that wanted me to do something that I didn't, that I didn't feel uh, was right for me. So I said, look, you can either not make me do it or fire me. And they fired me and I said, well, then I have no choice but to make it in DeFi. And so that's when I started the grind and I haven't looked back since. Thank you so much for sharing. That's so interesting, man. Like you got in way, way earlier than me, right? Like that like Bitcoin was like 2013, 14, I assume, when you mentioned at the beginning. Yes, yeah, yeah. In the very like in the very beginning when I first was exposed to Bitcoin, Bitcoin was, you know, between like twenty and sixty dollars. But when I started really looking into it as an investor, uh, this was like 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. I I was way more interested in Ethereum. I don't even really remember the price of Bitcoin. I think it was somewhere on like eight. 100 to 1200 but i could be wrong about that right right nice and then after that you you went on i remember you said um you went on to becoming full-time DeFi after leaving the job right like 
How did yes. it feel at that point of time? Well, it was a bit scary, you know, uh, uh -huh. but but I just for some reason, I, I just knew it would work out. I don't know why. And, I, and it's foolish to ever think that because, you know, uh, <laughs> jumping off of a cliff and, and just thinking you can fly is often not the best way to uh, learn how to fly. But it, it worked <laughs> out. You know, I, I knew that it, if I had no other choice but to make it that I would that <laughs> that I would. Right. Um, and I do think like sometimes that's the sort of pressure people need. You know, the, the best motivation is procrastination. I think it's because you have no other choice to get the thing done, but to get the thing done uh, in that time frame. Um, you know, I'm also a Christian, so I, I, I thank God to a, to a very large extent um, for, for guiding me in the right direction. <laughs> but uh, yeah, very glad that I made it. Right. I mean, you're definitely doing very well right now. I mean, I'm very happy for you. I, mean, I, I have seen your videos from, from when I first started even to today. So, <laughs> so happy to see your journey and your growth, man. Thank you. Right. And how did you get to where you are now compared to when you first started, like in terms of your crypto and DeFi knowledge? Well, you know, uh, they often say that getting rugged or getting exploited <laughs> or, you know, being in a bad protocol is uh, paying your tuition. And I have certainly paid enough tuition to have a doctorate degree in DeFi at this point. <laughs> Uh, so really, genuinely, I think that, that learning in DeFi is done through experience. So you can watch a bunch of videos, um, but if you never invest in a protocol, you're just you're not gonna you're not going to learn what you need to learn. Like if you watched a thousand hours of karate videos, or like uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu videos, you would not be a better like grappler, and you would not be a better fighter. Uh, you have to do it. You have to practice. You have to like get your hands dirty. And I did that, you know, all throughout DeFi summer, and then and then up until now, still, you know, I'm always in protocols. I'm always testing out new protocols. Uh, and sometimes I get burnt by them and sometimes I don't. And if I get burnt by a specific type of protocol over and over and over again, well, you, you learn to stop touching that fire, right? You, you stop touching the stove uh, after your hand gets burnt enough times. So it, it's been a lot of tuition, right? It's, it's been a lot of like hard knocks. Uh, we learned that about about algorithmic stable coins. We learned this about like these node projects like StrongBlock and Ring. Uh, we learned this about these reserve currency forks um, that like started with Ohm and Time Wonderland. Like we learned a lot. I mean, we, we being my community, but also myself, uh, <laughs> just learned a ton from, from getting burned, from getting knocked down. And slowly but surely you start to understand these different tokenomic systems. What is more sustainable than, than something else? What is real yield versus completely synthetic uh, yield? When is it okay to have hyperinflationary yield versus when is it totally risky? What kind of assets do you want to be exposed to toward the, versus what kind of assets do you just want to dump? Uh, and like learning all of these things through experience uh, was, was how I got to where I am today. However, I was very lucky that I invested in the right Ponzi early on, right? I invested in StrongBlock uh, as a relatively early adopter and that gave me this sort of very large windfall to play in DeFi and to and to afford that tuition early on, so I can't say that it was just you know all my own brilliance and just perseverance. I had this sort of uh, Ponzi-esque income coming in for a long time that I was able to use to experience and uh, play around with and learn DeFi. Um, so eventually that went away, and I had to do it all on my own. But that sort of that allowed me to crawl before I walked. Nice. I, I do remember strong blocks. I think from. From a YouTube video as well. That was like back in twenty twenty one or twenty two around there. Twenty twenty, yeah, and then oh, it was really? probably dead by twenty twenty one. Yeah, and you played around so many things. What do you consider your best source of information? Like, so for some people, 
it's a Twitter, some people it's a, their own community, their group of friends. What is it for you? Yeah, this is a this is a really hard one. Uh, in term, it there is no best source of information for me. Uh, my the community that we have is the best source of diligence. It's the best source of research. Uh, it's the best source of conversations that will help you make informed decisions. And oftentimes, it's the best place to find new opportunities. Uh, however, that's only because people are bringing in information they found from somewhere else. So if you want to synthesize information, if you want to discuss information, a community is the best place to do that. But to, if you're going out to find things on your own and not rely on other people to find them for you, then you know, crypto Twitter is okay, but DeFi Llama is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then like just knowing teams and knowing people and having them and having conversations uh, will oftentimes lead to you learning about things. I mean, it's, I don't know. It, it's this really weird space where as long as you're in it all day long, you're just going to start getting exposed to things. You're going to start hearing about protocols. And at that point you get to decide, am I going to go learn about this protocol everyone's talking about, or am I going to skip it? Am I going to focus on what I already know? And you have to be the kind of person who just says, all right, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to learn about this protocol. Uh, I'm going to see if it's worthwhile. And you might look at it and you might think it's okay, this is lame. But you might look at it and you might think this is interesting. At that point, you should probably try to put like $10 in it uh, just to see how it works, to understand its mechanisms, and then go from there. Like there, there have been so many times that something has been interesting, but I've ignored it and then it ends up blowing up. Man, so, I know that feeling way too well. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, also, like curating the list of, like, so for Twitter, you want to curate a list of the right people to follow. Uh, that's kind of hard, but it, it comes naturally once you've been in crypto Twitter for long enough. You'll see, mm-hmm. like, okay, that person is is clearly a paid shill uh, who does not diligence what they're talking about. Versus, like, okay, that person is often talking about things that early, right? Uh, and or they're explaining tokenomics and mechanics in a way that I can understand. And this is great educational information. So you don't always have to go to uh, crypto Twitter or to a resource for like opportunities. You can also go there for education. And I think like the more educated you are about protocols, the easier it will be for you to quickly analyze whether or not a protocol is worth your time. Right. Totally agree, man. Uh, and like, what is your investing framework? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so... Gosh, uh, for like the past year and a half, almost two years, I was totally Delta neutral with very, very limited Delta oh, exposure. Right. I uh, remember this. Yeah, it was like, you know, I had no Delta exposure. I didn't want any Delta exposure. I was perfectly fine just farming, doing uh, funding rare arbitrage. I did funding rare arbitrage for like nearly a year as, as my main source of yield. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. But I'm slowly taking on a lot more Delta exposure because I do think that we're like in an in a accumulation phase. Um, and I'm also a lot more, a lot more willing to, to take on this exposure because I don't think we're like in a forever bear market anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, all of, all of like the extreme, uh, economic fear is, is slowly dissipating. I do think we're going to maybe get some quantitative easing again in like 2024, 2025. So, you know, and I'm, and I'm happy enough with, with my career path in crypto that I'm willing to take on a little bit more risk with my portfolio. Uh, so like my investment theory or my investment strategy or my, my investment framework. Um, basically what I will tell people is that you don't want to be like more than 5% in any one particular protocol, especially if it's a newer protocol. 
Uh, now, if it's like Ave or Curve, Convex, maybe even Yearn, maybe like 10%, sure, totally fine. But as a rule of thumb, if you're new and you don't know what you're doing, uh, don't put more than 5% of your portfolio in anything, especially if like no one, if it has low TVL. But there's a massive risk matrix that uh, I go through in my my data science company when we're analyzing a a protocol or an opportunity. Uh, it's a really really boring conversation to have, but risk analysis is super important. A lot of things you want to consider with risk are smart contracts, backers, previous exploits, bug bounties, TVL, um, size of the community, get into the community. Uh, tokenomics then of course unlock periods like there's so many things to actually look at if you really want to uh, diligent something but oftentimes you don't need to do that to see like the immediate opportunities if you see that the risk of the protocol is low so it has great audits um, which is really one of the major things and it has good backers and you see a stablecoin opportunity and it has like a hyperinflationary yield of like 30 percent or 40 percent paid out in farm tokens there's no reason not to participate in that like farm tokens aren't aren't this evil thing. It's okay to dump these things. <laughs> they want they want your liquidity. It, give them your liquidity. Get their farm tokens. Dump them. Get your yield. Right. There's no problem with that. Everything doesn't need to be real yield. Just make sure you understand your delta exposure and any taxes that are in that protocol. Uh, so you know I, I think you should have a thesis with your portfolio. Do you want a long bias portfolio? Do you want a short bias portfolio? Do you want to do pair trading? Do you want to be relatively neutral? Once you have a thesis. Uh, then you can build your portfolio around that thesis. So if you want 25% of your portfolio to be Delta exposed, uh, like Delta positive one with the crypto markets, then build that portfolio and then figure out how you want to allocate the other 75%. If you want to be like very crypto exposed, do that. But you need a thesis. And once you have a thesis, then you need to break it down into risk categories. Once you have that, uh, it should be pretty easy to allocate if you know which protocols you're interested in and you know how to do the basic level of research. Mm -hmm. and, and you mentioned earlier like going through the checklist of let's say tokenomics, the revenue, like the audits. So do you assign like a certain value or a weightage to each component? I think it's similar to um, Jake Pahal's framework if you've seen yes. that, right? Yeah, so we do actually. We, we uh, weight each one of these categories differently. We also weight the values within each category differently. So mm -hmm. let's say we're looking at audits, right? Let's say audit has an 8% weight on the, on the overall risk points on the overall points you get in this uh, diligence calculus calculus. Then like having an audit is not, is not binary. It's not like, okay, you have a, you have a certic audit, therefore you get the full eight points, right? That's just not how it works. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we break it down into top tier audits, second tier audits, uh, like, so we break it down into a lot of categories. It's not just what audits you have, but it's do the audits cover the full scope of your smart contracts? Is there any smart contract, uh, any piece of the smart contract that hasn't been audited yet? And is the smart, like there, there are many things to look at aside from whether or not it does have an audit and who, who audits mm -hmm. it. But like in very basic terms, uh, yes, we do weight it. And it is based off of what we think is, is more important. And if, if but but I wouldn't want like the average person to be doing this all the time with all these, with their, uh, their own like investment. So if I was just an investor with my own portfolio, I would look at, is the smart contract fully audited? Uh, who did the audit and is there big money behind this? Right. Cause if there's big money behind it, even if, uh, you, you get exploited, there is a chance that you get your money back. Now we've seen this with wormhole, uh, we've seen this with, there's another really big one that I can't remember 
there's another bridge where they've compensated the the investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one on there's another one on Solana too. I think it was it was Tulip or or Friction maybe it was. Anyways, if there's backing, you might get compensated. But you also have ones that are like you know quote unquote too big to fail, like uh, Euler, where I honestly think they just they they use their collective think tank to uh, to find the exploiter and pressure him into returning the funds, <laughs> which, was, which was pretty impressive. Not not something you should take a bet on, uh, but but certainly interesting. So right. you know it's uh, it's just something you have to learn through experience. Like there's there's no rule I can tell you that will save you from from danger. You have to get your hands dirty and you'll get to know protocols. Like there are so many solidly forked protocols that have crappy audits, but I put a lot of faith in because they're genuine solidly forks, which means they're using a specific piece of immutable contract, which means that the pools are effectively safe. Your yield and the tokenomics might be really wonky uh, and like subject to, to like bad actors, but your pool, the deposit, the liquidity is totally safe because it's from the immutable contracts that Andre created, you know, a while ago. So like you just have to learn as you go in DeFi and you'll you'll be able to pick up what is risky and what's not through experience rather than any set of rules that I can give you today. Mm-hmm. And I have a question. So after the recent events, does a Certic audit give any points on your free book? <laughs> Negative <laughs> points. If you have a Certic Negative audit, that's it. we take away <laughs> five points. Um, no, like it's, it's, a, it's a really good question. Uh, Certic is, is an interesting company. Uh, sometimes on Twitter they'll post exploits, and sometimes they'll help other companies with, with their uh, their risk profiles. And so, like nothing against Certic, but when I see a Certic audit, and it's advertised on the protocol, like at the top, it'll say like audited by Certic. That's a huge red flag for me. So, like unless I understand that that particular protocol has either an immutable contract they forged from someone else, or is built by a very robust dev team. I'm just going to assume this will rug at some point in time, and I'm either aiming to get in and get out before that happens, or I'm not touching it at all. Right, I was just kidding, but thank you for your very um, <laughs> serious and complete answer. <laughs> yeah, but um, and on the on the thought of the framework where you mentioned that not your everyday investor should do this, I actually think it's a very interesting thing that most investors should learn how to do this kind of um, framework allocation because I was first exposed to this about this YouTube guy called Brian Ferodi for traditional stocks where he does a scorecard mm-hmm. uh, for different metrics as well for stocks and then he'll have different ranges about like investable or like maybe investable and then not for him, right? right. And, and then after yeah. that, I saw Jake's framework which I thought was very interesting because I haven't seen this in crypto yet and I'm very happy to hear that you're using this as well. So I do think that people should learn how to do this scorecard or framework to go through each project before before they invest in them. I think it's a very useful process before they start investing in a certain project. I think that they're training wheels. Uh, and there are different areas where you would do this, right? So if you're investing in an asset, like a volatile asset, then you should have some sort of framework for your fundamental analysis, mm-hmm. right? So in the, in the dojo, we have a lot of different frameworks for fundamental analysis. We look at like the fees generated versus the market cap or the fees generated versus uh, the distribution of fees towards shareholders or, you know, the, the, um, the, well, there are many different things you can look at fundamental analysis, but effectively, like there are also metrics for that, that you might want to look into and consider when it comes to like yield bearing assets. Yes, there are things that you want to consider, but if you're farming, like, 
I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. What, what, what I'm trying to get across, though, is that when you start off doing it, it's very, very good to have a set of rules that you stick to uh, to not fall into rugs and exploits immediately mm -hmm. and frequently. But mm -hmm. as you learn to sort of feel what is safe and what's not safe and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, you won't necessarily have to do that physical long-form calculus uh, because a lot of it will be like, okay, I know what the, what the right signs are, what the warning flags, what the red flags are. Um, I know this is like a, a good or bad opportunity. So uh, do the efforts to learn the skills, go through the long-form risk matrix, go through the long-form investing framework, uh, build the habit of diligencing all of your protocols and all of your fundamental uh, analysis, but understand or know that once you've done that, once you've had 100, 200 reps of that, uh, it'll. You might not need to rely on that as heavily. Mm, all right, good point. I mean, so at that point, you you kind of do that mentally in your head where you know what right, you're looking exactly. out for already. Right, yes. right, nice. And then, um, which brings me to my next point. Um, could you name one chain or ecosystem and project that you think is undervalued right now, and why? Ooh, I mean, uh, you, you deal with chain ecosystem product. Like that's a whole bunch of things. Uh, and yeah. I'm, I'm would love to answer all of those, honestly. So undervalued as a chain is, is okay. So when you say undervalued as a chain, do you mean like the asset of that chain is undervalued or the sentiment about that chain is under, is like lower than it should be? Um, I would say the, the asset asset okay so you're looking for like an l1 asset that might be undervalued uh right. i i i pass i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> like asset fundamental analysis for specific assets especially l1s right now in this market so hard for me to say like i love what avax is doing uh, -huh. uh i think that i think that they're going to have another narrative another resurgence um maybe next year they continuously put out incentivization packages so does optimism though like optimism is always incentivizing things however like that, that's a lot of OP tokens that are out there. So while yeah. their chain might continue to have traction, I, I don't necessarily think that like the OP token is going to, is going to overperform uh, in the next cycle though. You know, people have consistently said that the optimism and optimistic like tech is, is just like some of the best tech in blockchain. So yeah, I don't know. I think phantom right now is, uh, is like definitely taking a beating. I think that it's, it's taken such a beating with the recent multi-chain stuff and just like mm -hmm. not having a bunch of protocols that are interesting, that it has a, an easier uh, an easier way to get a narrative, to get a little bit more interesting in the future. So like maybe it's a bit undervalued right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that Arbitrum is super hot, but for good reason. So I don't think Arbitrum is undervalued. I think Arbitrum is like fair valued, though most of the yields are coming from like GMX, GMX-like products, GMX derivative products, uh, and solidly forks. But there are some solidly forks that are doing interesting things. You have Kronos, you have Ramsey's with constant liquidity, Kronos with this like sort of like time locking yield, uh, you know, still sticky liquidity. So I think Arbitrum is one of the most interesting playgrounds for yields, farms, and uh, derivative protocols. I think that like the Cosmos ecosystem is like this burgeoning place that has a lot of community issues. I think if, if you hear <laughs> one talk about Cosmos, they're probably going to say the same thing. Very interesting. Like, I love the user experience in Cosmos. I love being able to connect my Kepler wallet to all of these protocols and be able to transfer them in and out of all of them seamlessly without any bridging. That's amazing. IBC is fantastic technology. It's super cool. And I think that if IBC ever really catches on and people get interested in it, 
that has a very good chance of having a super interesting season in the future. Like Terra almost did that. And then of course mm -hmm. Terra collapsed and a lot of interest in IBC went away. But, you know, Osmosis is still a very hot protocol. They're doing concentrated liquidity soon. Uh, Secret Network of all the networks is like blowing up with a few of their farms. So, you know, uh, uh, having private chains that have good yield farming opportunities, that's really interesting, really compelling. Does it mean it's undervalued? Does it mean SCRT is going to blow up? I don't know. I don't, it's very hard for me to, to value that because those are narrative-based valuations. And I just can't tell what narratives are, are going to be up and coming. Yeah, I know. That's a, it's a very long-winded answer of saying there are so many interesting things and some disinteresting things. Uh, but the things that I'm like, I find myself constantly using over and over again, I'm constantly using IBC and Cosmos protocols because they present very interesting uh, delta neutral opportunities and because the like the base yield for staking is so high over there for all of their assets. And then I'm also constantly drawn to Arbitrum for farming opportunities and Optimism also for farming opportunities. Uh, Polygon has been a hard sell for me. I know Polygon has a ton of partnerships in TradFi and Polygon has a bunch of protocols building, but very rarely am I ever compelled enough by yields to go over to Polygon and farm. Mm -hmm. um, with the exception of maybe some uni v3 stuff ethereum as expensive as it is is more compelling to me to farm on uh than polygon no shade to polygon finance smart chain for a long time had a bunch of interesting yields over there uh, i do think PancakeSwap coming to ethereum and PancakeSwap doing concentrated liquidity is, is maybe going to give them some more traction i do like apollo x i do think that bsc incentivizes building on there uh, well enough so you know they're great um there are a lot of other L2s like like Near. What's going on with Near, right? Uh, I would love to be bullish on Near, but I just can't be because they only have like two protocols that I would use. But I still hope that they do well. So, sorry, I know that was a very long one. <laughs> no, no worries, not at all. I mean, you gave a very good, very well-rounded answer, and I agree with a lot of your points as well. Um, like, I'm not sure what what's on Near. Like, I haven't really explored what's on Near, but uh, on the Cosmos side, I totally agree with you, man. Like the IBC, you know, it's very interesting. And there are like quite a few chains that are coming on Cosmos as well, um, like Barra Chain, Say Network. So I think all these are very interesting um, things to look out for that are building on Cosmos. Oh yeah, Barra Chain seems like it's gonna do very well. Right. Have you been looking into it, like for the past few yeah, months? Yeah, we're trying to get year? a uh, yeah, we're trying to get an interview with a couple of the founders, but they say they want to wait until they're closer to launching. So um, I know there have been a lot of different activities you can do over there, uh, and like. Go to wish protocols you can interact with to potentially get airdrops or, or future yields. I haven't been doing any of that stuff. I'm just sort of following them and their team. Mm -hmm. All right, nice. So, so the dojo can expect the Barra Chain AMA soon yes. in future. <laughs> yes, when they're closer to launch. Yeah. Nice, nice. And you mentioned narratives as well. Um, what is your take on this very, very hot narrative right now on LSD? LSD oh, five. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, in college, I did a lot of drugs. So LSD <laughs> being, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so I love liquid stake derivatives. I think they're, they're super cool. Uh, I, you know, the narrative, fantastic, especially since it's on Ethereum. So Ethereum narratives are particularly powerful because Ethereum is, is the largest decentralized like DeFi application chain or, you know, chain with decentralized apps on it. So when a lot of TVL flows into Ethereum, it's, it's generally a good thing. And when they're, but, but here's the sort of like caveat. What we're seeing now that Ethereum is redeemable. So anyone who is like staking their ETH can now redeem their ETH. If you had like CBETH, you can now un unstake that CBETH and get all the ETH plus yield back. Uh, Liquidity will be doing this soon. 
not liquidity, uh, Lido, sorry. And because of this, the risk-adjusted yield is is no longer as uh, as high. So, like the yield you'll get on an Ethereum LSD, it used to be quite a bit of a premium compared to the yield you would get for lending your ETH on a money market, right? These these two were like competing, uh, quote unquote, risk-free yields on ETH. Mm-hmm. Very very low risk to to participate in validation and staking. Very very low risk to lend your ETH on, like say, Aave. Or some comparable money market, you know, compound, morpho, whatever it is. Now that you can unstake your ETH, the gap is closing between these two things. Right now, I believe the wrap stake ETH yield is 4.6%, but to to borrow uh, ETH costs you 4.2%. So like the gap is definitely closing there. That's a bit of a bummer because it's it's going to reduce the yield on leveraged staked ETH. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I like that. Be- I like leverage positions, especially leverage positions with very, very little liquidation risk. That's a great way to get additional yield. So there is like this LSD fi you have, uh, you know, your unsheath, you had, what was it? Ag- Agile that came out and mm-hmm. had two, two days in the sun. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate these. I, I like products that are built on top of these, you know, uh, index co-op or index coop, whatever it is. Uh, they have a bunch of really interesting, compelling products as well. You know, I have real yield ETH uh, on Somalia, the vault that, that I work on, uh, my team. And, you know, we're doing 11% all denominated in Ethereum uh, from real yield. And a lot of that comes from like leveraged liquid staking using Aave, Aave V3. And we also, you know, part of the repeg play with CV ETH. Uh, and I think that it, that it, that type of opportunity will exist for a while, but not forever. Because eventually, as more TVL comes in, as more sophisticated, player, sophisticated players come in, the gap between this or the the arbitrageability, right? The gap between the borrow rates, the interest rates, and the yield rates or validation rates or staking rates is going to slowly close. Uh, so you'll be able to get these yields, but you won't be able to leverage them as easily or as effectively or as meaningfully. Uh, so an LSD fi, while it presents short-term yields and short-term inflationary yields and emissions and these like cool uh, secondary derivative products, it's also going to to inevitably end in like this dilution of yields overall nice thank you so much for sharing it's always nice to hear your thoughts about uh stuff like this man like you can articulate them so well <laughs> like i could never do it <laughs> uh, thank you hopefully i'm I'm close to being right on those actually i'd be i'd be, I'd love if i was wrong i'd love if like the ethereum borrow rate went down to two percent and the yield rate stayed around four to five percent that would be fantastic so uh you know hopefully i'm wrong actually We'll see. We'll see in due time, man. Right, and so you you kind of mentioned this earlier, where you were the Delta Neutral guy for pretty much almost a year now, I think, right? A year or like mm-hmm. half a half a year, and then you mentioned you've taken a little bit of risk right now. So, what are the thoughts of, of the markets for the rest of the year? Well, I'm not a technical analyst. Uh, we do have a technical analyst in the, in the dojo. Um, that's Groot. He's fantastic. He's been like spot on for his past few predictions. So huge shout out to him. He also built some bots uh, based off of his own sort of TA. And they've been doing really well. So again, hats off to Groot. Uh, me personally, again, I think we're in an accumulation phase. Um, seems to be that. Seems to be the case there. Uh, so I'm just accumulating ETH uh, very slowly. Now and again, I'll see like a pre-sale opportunity or an opportunity to, to take like a lopsided bet on something I like. Sure, a little bit of allocation here, a little bit of allocation there. But really, the plays that I am the most interested in that have been consistently the best, and this is like where the real alpha lives, is these 
arbitrage plays based off of these sort of black swan events. You uh, love them, we've don't seen you? Them time and time, you know, I don't, I don't, I play like thirty percent of them, but you know, Dingo, right? In the in the Discord, yeah. he does all of them. He's probably doubled his portfolio, or nearly doubled his portfolio, just on those types of events alone. It's really this sort of brilliant strategy that takes a lot more patience uh, and and like research, but it it pays off like dramatically. So like if you have an ETH bias, you have an ETH exposure already, there was no reason not to like invest in ETH2 on KuCoin, right? ETH2 had a 30% DPEG. So that's 30% on ETH you would have gotten uh, in like the, the span of three months. And many of us did that. I, I was lucky enough to participate in that. CB ETH DPEG by 8%. Uh, so you also have like an 8% arbitrage opportunity there under the course of, I think it was like four months. Uh, Lido ETH depegged by around 5%. That closed in a month. So you had all of these short-term opportunities. And those were the ones that were like slower. We had CR ETH 2, which was depegged by also like 20 to 30%. That closed up in less than a month. Uh, we had BNBX when Anchor BNB depegged. So Anchor BNB depegged because there was an exploit on, on Anchor. Because there was a pool attached to that with BNBX and BNBX also got pulled down while BNBX was still completely and fully backed. So just being able to see that opportunity, say, okay, I know that BNBX is still fully backed. I know that Stator has not been exploited. So there is no reason for this not to go back to peg and then buy BNBX at like 10% of its fair value and make, you know, 5X in a few hours. Like those types of plays are just brilliant to me and amazing to me. And, and I love those. You know, yield is fun. Farming is fun. And farming is like a medium skill sort of task in DeFi. But these arbitrage plays are a little bit next level and the reward is generally much higher, uh, even like multi-chain, right? So people took this bet on multi-chain repegging on Kava and it paid off. That was just one other in this long line of these arbitrage plays that pays off. Um, I'm not saying, you know, ape into every DPEG because you will lose if you don't research. You know, DEI, day, they've DPEGged a bunch. Uh, sometimes they've come back, sometimes they haven't. If you didn't know why they depegged and you were putting full faith in the team rather than some sort of backing mechanism or some sort of other like external uh, data that you had to give you confidence they would repeg, you're you're much less likely to succeed. That's that's one of the main benefits about the dojo is that you know the research that goes into these sort of arbitrage plays is far and beyond uh, the sort of research that you would do in like a normal farming opportunity. And I think. You know, we're really, really good at highlighting and, and capturing uh, those opportunities there. They are, in my opinion, the most interesting ways to have a bias. So if you're long biased, those are the kind of opportunities that will do the most to increase your exposure to ETH, increase your uh, bag of ETH or other blue chips um, when you see those opportunities arise. Right. I remember, like, whenever there's such a DPEG event, the Dojo's Discord is, like, the peak activity, man. You guys are discussing <laughs> right, yeah. so much. It'll That's be the one of the most exciting. Yeah, the first to arbitrage all these kind of events. Yes. Right, and you've been shilling the dojo pretty much the entire session so far. I mean, I have a, <laughs> I have a section dedicated for you. We're going to enter that section right now. So go on, man. Shield the dojo. What is the DeFi dojo and how how did you get into founding this DeFi dojo? Yeah, so the DeFi dojo is actually pretty interesting. Um, I had a small group of, of like friends that I met from different telegrams. I mean, to be honest, it was like the Olympus Dow telegram and the strong telegram where I met these people during DeFi summer 
And we were like, okay, these protocols are kind of silly. Let's form our own group and be a little bit more serious about uh, DeFi. And then eventually, you know, uh, I was also running a Patreon at that time. And people in the Patreon were saying, we want to be able to talk to each other, not just you. And the people in, my, in the Telegram were like, we also think that Discord would be a, a much better format. So I created this, this Discord and it really took off. And eventually I was like, this Discord is, is better than Patreon. Like this, you're going to get way more value in this community than you are just from me sort of like teaching you. Uh, that's when I realized a lot of people who, for whatever reason, wanted to pay me on Patreon were much smarter than me. So <laughs> the, the Discord became the main focus very quickly. And I, I like full steam ahead on trying to curate this community where people were incentivized to learn. We have a belt system, right? You have white belt all the way to black belt, a bunch of belts in between. Once you're black belt, you, you don't pay, right? You get everything for free for life because you have shown that you're like a master of DeFi. You're a, a master DeFi strategy. You're clearly a huge value add to the community. Uh, and you're probably like helping out and teaching people along the way. And you're presenting opportunities that I couldn't even think of in the first place. So, you know, black belts never pay. Uh, if you are like a, a purple belt or above, which is like the last three or four belts, then you can enter the arena. If you enter a strategy into the arena, I will open that strategy with my own uh, personal funds and it will compete with other strategies uh, that month. And if that, if it, performs the best in terms of yield that month, denominated either in stable coins or a blue chip, uh, then you'll get a prize. Like you will win $100 uh, for best prize or best yield that month. So I try to incentivize um, meritocratic activity. So, you know, if you're very clever, if you're very smart, if you're very <laughs> good at this stuff, uh, and if you're very like participatory, if you're helping people out, then I try to do my best to incentivize you to stay, to grow, to learn with us. Um, and like, yeah, I, I more than like a teacher or more than a uh, smart person, I am like a community manager. And I think that I'm much better at that than like being the best yield farmer or being the best technical analyst or being the best fundamental analysis. Uh, I leave that to a lot of other people and I learn from them. And certainly like I grow with them, but uh, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades rather than like a, a specialist in in these things. Nice. And also you, you forgot to mention that you guys host AMAs. Oh yeah, we have, of course we have a bunch of AMAs. Uh, I do like a, a Monday update. We can see my portfolio, the portfolio from the arena where I do all the community strategies. Uh, we have community calls, sometimes AMAs. We talk to a bunch of projects. Sometimes I get like, sometimes I'm, I'm able to uh, secure some like whitelists for community members. Uh, I also will help community members one-on-one -on -one in specific situations. So yeah, it's a great place. We do. Uh, we do have a bunch of like larger investors in there as well. So if you're a protocol, we have, I think we have like 60 to 80 different builders in there. That just means like you work on a protocol and I, I allow you to join the dojo for free uh, because, you know, we're, we want to pester you with questions. So we have <laughs> people from like the Osmosis team. We have, uh, we have a bunch of the DeFi llamas in there. We have people from like Aperture. Uh, we have people, I mean, I could look at it, RoboTrade, RoboVaults. Um, Kronos, Thena, Dolomite, Dopex, uh, Jupiter, Y2K, you know, a few exchanges, Mexi, Pendle, GammaSwap. We have tons of people from tons of protocols in there uh, that sort of like not only participate in the community, but also are there to answer questions about their protocols. Yeah, you have pretty much everyone in there and then you can just like tag them and like ask, ask questions directly, man. direct line to them. It's really cool. Right. And... Any plans for the dojo moving forward for the short, short term future, long term future? I mean, 
Do you have goals to grow the dojo in any way? Could you share that? Yeah, it's a good question. So I struggle with this a lot, right? There's clearly a monetary incentive to make the dojo as big as possible. Uh, but I've noticed that when I do big marketing pushes and when I try to expand too quickly, we get a lot of new users that are very, very unfamiliar with DeFi. Um, and they kind of make it harder for the more experienced users to lead the conversation. So I've actually dialed down on marketing quite a bit. And I'm letting the dojo sort of be this sort of self-sustaining, self-informing uh, educational space for more advanced users. So instead of trying to expand the dojo, I've actually sort of trying just to let it grow as organically as possible without doing without doing too much external marketing. Uh, I know I talked about it a lot in this call, and it might seem like I'm marketing it, <laughs> um, but really, like, I am perfectly fine if it stays like where it is uh, for the time being, because I think we have a really, really great group there, and I don't want to dilute that with with newer users. Um, if you are a newer user and you are interested, certainly you can go there. We have a we have a full section just dedicated to newer users learning DeFi. It's like learning DeFi uh, channel where where a bunch of people will answer any questions um, for newer users. But uh, no, you know I'm going to continue running the arena. I think that's a really compelling uh, thing. I'm going to try to be a little bit more find other ways to interact with the community. Maybe we'll have like an actual physical meetup, um, but. I am leaning more heavily on some of my other endeavors, like with uh, Define Logic Labs, to um, supplement my income so that I'm not I'm not trying to push uh, the DeFi dojo to be like all, my only source of income because I I don't want that that community means so much to me uh, that I don't want to like risk the integrity and amazingness of that community just to make more money. Nice and. This is like not not sponsored or, or anything, right? Like Steven's not paying me for this, but there is a free section in the dojo as well where, where users can just chat in there as well to take a look. Yes, yeah. yeah. There is a free section, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and people who are in that free section, like shout out to you guys. There have been some people who have been there for years uh, just like helping out, talking, discussing with each other. So that's just, that's really cool. Yeah, and I, I've been in the, the Discord for I think close to a year now and I think... It is really, really great. It's a very nice place to learn. It's a good community. You get access to all these AMAs. Totally worth the worth the subscription, in my opinion. Thanks, man. Right, and now that we are done with the crypto stuff, done shilling the dojo, uh, <laughs> let me get into my favorite part of getting to know you like more personally. So we talked about the goals for dojo, right? And what are your goals for yourself? Yeah, so actually, I posted my yearly goals uh, on oh, Twitter did. a while ago, um, and yeah, I've met some of them, right? One of them was I wanted to like make a real life, like in person, like investment that was in DeFi. Uh, so I'm trying, you know, knock on wood, I'm trying to buy a house. The housing market is absolutely terrible. So hopefully, I accomplish that goal. That would be really nice. <laughs> uh, have some like physical equity. Um, I also, you know, I, I work out, so like I wanted to be able to, to bench press 315 pounds. I nailed that goal, finally did it, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, I have three kids, so you know, most of my real actual goals that I that I genuinely care about are related to those kids having a happy and good life. So, you know, oh, being such honest, a nice parent. <laughs> be like an, be you an honest dad with a bunch of integrity that that thinks for himself and teaches his kids good values. Uh, if I do that, I'm, you know, I'm gold. There's nothing, nothing else that, that's more important than that. Um, but, you know, really, really want to pursue this uh, data analysis company. 
to continue to grow that, uh, work on strategies in DeFi, because that's, I love working on strategies. I love playing with math. I love playing with spreadsheets. That's a ton of fun for me. So I can get paid to create these strategies and help launch them with other protocols and help make the DeFi space more interesting. Uh, then, you know, it's a huge win for me. Nice. And, you know, I, I almost forgot that you're pretty jacked until you mentioned the, the benching goal. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and could you also share a little bit of your daily routine of, of a full-time uh, calculator guy, slan parent, slan gene rat? Yeah, sure. Uh, wake up and brush my kids' teeth. You know, I got three kids, seven, three, and one. Uh, get them vitamins, get them breakfast, get my son to school. After I get my son to school, I'll go to the gym. Uh, I'll get back from the gym, you know, make a, make a tea, protein shake, whatever. And uh, I, I don't eat lunch. That's kind of a weird thing about me. I, if I am like really, really hungry, maybe I'll get lunch at, at the cafeteria in the office space that I rent. Um, but oftentimes I just totally skip lunch. I'll make a tea because, you know, coffee is uh, pretty strong. I try to avoid coffee when I can help it. Mm -hmm. So I'll bring it to you. I'll get into work. I'll work until my kid gets out of school. Um, go pick him up. Go home. And then like after that, it's just me on my laptop, but also with the kids, uh, hanging out with the kids. Maybe I'll help feed them dinner. Um, well, I'll always help feed them dinner, and you know, just work when I can. Try to get a, a message out here and there on my phone or my laptop. Um, and then you know, it's a nighttime routine. I'm a dad, man. My day, my daily routine is really boring. It's it's a lot of just dealing with kids. Um, I had Schizo on the other episode and he kind of said the same thing as well. It basically revolved around the kids. Yeah, that's day. right. You know, uh, when I'm home, it's just hanging out with kids. Nice. When I'm at work, I'm working. It's nice, man. But so you kind of work like so-called office hours during the day? Yeah, like I have, I have hours dedicated to me getting things done. And then, of course, when I'm at home, uh, I'm on my phone a lot. I'm on my laptop a lot, just getting things done. Um, answering questions, writing emails, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So when you, when you own a business, like you, you don't really have hours. You're just sort of like always trying to, to keep the momentum going on, on all the balls you have in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, while also trying to be like a, a good dad and good husband. I'm sure you are. Man. I'm sure you are. And like, what, what are some of your hobbies outside of crypto? I mean, besides, yeah, well, I used to have a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. but, besides your you know, calculations and spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, when I had like a salary job and a bunch of free time, um, I had a lot more hobbies. <clears throat> but now like my main hobbies are, are uh, exercise. I love working out. It's really just, it's good for your mental health. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Like I can't stress that enough. There are a few things you can do in your life that will totally change everything. You know, I, I had like uh, anxiety and depression in college, probably partially due to like the drugs and just not living a happy lifestyle. But, you know, cutting out vices and like exercising and just like being an honest person, it effectively cured my, my anxiety and my depression. People want to rely on medication, this and that. That's fine. But if those aren't working for you, try exercise, try cutting out vices. If you watch porn, stop watching porn. If you're doing drugs, stop doing drugs. Like just cut those out for a month and see if it works. If, if you're consistent with it and you can really do it, uh, I would almost guarantee that it'll work for you. But, you know, I also like fountain pens. So uh, I have a bunch of like antique fountain pens. I like calligraphy. So I, I used to Ooh. write a lot of calligraphy. Um, but now I just use fountain pens for like my notes and things like that. I like uh, antique fountain pens. Pelican fountain pens are amazing. Mont Blancs are okay. Uh, I also have like a few um, 
I like pilot pens, but yeah, fountain pens are cool. Nice. You know, it's a bit like every guest that I've had on also said the same thing as you. Like they had a lot of hobbies before crypto. And at this point, I'm not so sure whether being in crypto is a good thing or not. <laughs> well, yeah, crypto's kind of... So here's the thing about crypto, right? Uh, I have brushed up on more math than I could have ever hoped for. I actually used logarithms in, in one of my spreadsheets the other day. So oh I God. really appreciate the fact that crypto, if you're in crypto, if you're in DeFi, and if you're really committed to it, you will probably helping your brain. Like it's probably increasing your neuroelasticity because you have to learn all the time. Like you're, there's new tokenomics, there's new types of protocols, uh, there's new there's new derivatives. Um, and you have to learn a lot, about, a lot about TradFi. Like I had to learn what funding rates were. I had to learn what cash and carry was. Uh, I had to learn what what how interest rates affected broader markets. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, yes, I'm not learning a lot about smaller niche things. Like I'm, I've learned less about fountain pens in the past year <laughs> than ever. Uh, but I will say like, I do believe it's, it's uh, it can be intellectually fruitful. That said, yes. that said, uh, my, my chess ELO did go down by like a hundred points. And <laughs> I do think, I don't know. Like, am I, am I getting less intelligent? Hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally, we, we learn a lot of things, even like for myself. I'm pretty new to a lot of stuff as well, so I learn a lot of things as I go along. Like, even in school, like, like I learned a bit on finance as well. But then, mm-hmm. in crypto, you kind of learn this already, like, on your own before the school teaches you this. So it's like, you kind of just yep. gain additional knowledge on your own, which I think is pretty cool, pretty interesting. Oh yeah, and it's the best way to learn too. Like uh, you can learn through through a teacher, but like learning through experience, yeah. you're gonna, it's gonna stick with you. Like being hands on, you kind of need to be hands on to know what's actually going on. Like for option strategies, for example, like the the theory could give you like do this covered call as a protective put, but it's not as good to to learn it through theory, in, in my opinion, than if I were to put the money and actually execute the exactly. strategy myself. Right. Yeah. Like yep, you learn, 100%. you learn the payoffs on your own without having to draw the, the lines on the graph. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the, the first time you sell a covered call and you're like, wait, I just got money. <laughs> like you're telling me I just got paid to to maybe give someone these assets at a higher price. That's amazing. Who did that again? <laughs> and then and then of course your your asset skyrockets. You're like, wait, I had to sell that at a lower price. What's going on here? Like right. you know, you learn through these experiences and you just like say, okay, now I sort of understand the risk reward here. Now I get why they gave me a premium. Now I understand how these are like leveraged positions. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great way to learn. Um, can't recommend enough. I wish we had more education that was hands-on like this because uh, nothing beats it. And we're lucky to be in this space where we can do so. Yeah, we can do so decentrally. We can do so like at a very low cost. Like we can play with the most complex financial tools and, and products and derivatives that have ever been invented for like $10, right? Uh, whereas if you wanted to do these things in TradFi, you'd have to have like a broker account. You'd have to have at least $50,000 under management, uh, just to start playing with these things with like incredibly high levels of risk. So the fact that we can learn about all of these very, very advanced uh, and nuanced financial tools with a very, very low initial capital from anywhere in the world is to me mind blowing. It's totally changing finance and, and totally changing financial education. Uh, and I hope it continues to expand. Right. And as we approach the one hour mark, let's wrap things up soon. And you have a lot of experience in this space, but let's hear your biggest takeaway from crypto. 
Oh, this is a weird one, man. My biggest takeaway from crypto is that crypto attracts heterodoxical, intelligent individuals. And that's what I love about this space. Like, I like making money as much as the next guy. Absolutely. But the people that you meet in crypto are going to be weird. And they're going to be weird in a very interesting way. They're going to be a little bit different from your, your average person. They're going to think a little bit differently. They're going to be able to be a little bit more critical about uh, ideas, social ideas, um, financial ideas, and concepts. And, you know, you're really pushing yourself towards the farther right end of the bell curve. Like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sort of smart, but in crypto, I'm not. Like in crypto, the average IQ is probably somewhere around like 115 to 125. Very, very smart people tend to fall into this space. And when I'm talking to people, I'm just always amazed by the amount of intellectual capital that exists in DeFi. So my biggest takeaway from crypto is that if you can find communities that attract certain types of people that you want to be around with anyways, uh, then find a way to stay in that community for as long as possible. And crypto, DeFi specifically, uh, attracts a certain demographic that I just find amazing and mind-blowing. Like I've met, I've met people from insane walks of life, people who are like self-sufficient, people who are like self-made millionaires, or even a few billionaires, uh, people who have said, you know what, I'm just going to take my kids and we're just going to travel the world from day one. And, and like, I will get them... Uh, violin lessons in Italy, and I will have them learn mathematics in in the country of Georgia, and I will and and you know they have very well-rounded children, like like from crazy sort of extreme walks of life. So crypto attracts uh, heterodoxical, intelligent extremophiles, and those are my favorite kind of people. Uh, so you know, yes, I want to buck the financial system. Yes, I think centralized banks are are not necessarily a great system moving forward for the. Uh, for the sustainability of humankind and, and human economics. Um, and yes, I'm totally bought into the decentralized financial narratives, but also the the kind of people that crypto has attracted are very attractive to me as well. Nice. And I pretty much agree with you, man. Like I'm nowhere near smart, but I was talking the other day about how there are so many smart people in crypto space, right? Like there are so many people working in different protocols or even just investors on their own. And they're like so, so smart. And being in crypto actually allows us to interact with these people. It lets me learn from them, right. which I think is a very yeah. fortunate thing. Yeah. Well, okay. So like to, to be in crypto, a few things have to be true, right? You either have to be very smart or you have to be very rich. And uh, if you're very rich, you're probably also not, you probably also have some level of competence because most rich people did not get rich by inheritance, uh, at least not in crypto, right? Most rich people in crypto probably got rich through some other means, either a business or they became successful in finance, whatever it is. A lot of trad by bros in here. Uh, but like we just got through the bear market and the bear market shook out so many people who, who just couldn't stay in. Like either they couldn't afford to stay in because they lost all their money or they couldn't uh, stay in because they, they couldn't find a way to make money during the bear market. Now, that, I'd say 90% of people gone, but the 10% that stayed, either they have so much cash flow from their outside job that they can stay in and to like dump as much money as I want into crypto. And those are pretty interesting people. Like, you know, your bon vivants, your people who are very lively and just have tons of wealth and fly in private jets. Cool. You know, fair enough. Live your life. Uh, you're probably still interesting. You have a lot to offer. But the people who made it through like sheer force of will and learning and intelligence, like, okay, I, I have to short now. How can I short and make yield? How can I be delta neutral and make yield? How can I live in a bear market and thrive? And people who were able to adapt to that, like those are just interesting, compelling personalities that that I love being around. Nice. 
it's really really a very interesting space and I'm very very sure that those who are still here right now in this bear market will be able to learn a lot and also make a lot of money in the next cycle or at least that's what I believe in I hope so that I'm here <laughs> yeah man I hope you get rich next cycle <laughs> uh, I'm sure we all will man right and to wrap this up could you give me three guest nominations for the podcast who would you like to see come on this pod as well Ooh, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. So a lot of people who would be good on here uh, aren't voice doxed yet. So it would be hard for me to recommend them. Um, but I think, you know, have you had Crypto Lynn on? She's banned. <laughs> she's banned. <laughs> okay. Well, if she's banned, then not her. Uh, but, you know, like Hoeim, uh, you had Hoeim on, didn't you? Yeah, I had Hoeim. I had CJ. Yeah, CJ, yeah, he's, he's fantastic too. Uh... Um Flow Walker would be great. I think Flow Walker for concentrated liquidity would be really interesting because uh, he's like a, an expert in concentrated liquidity. And I think, you know, just learning about that could be really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, CJ. And Rekt isn't voice doxed, to my knowledge. Yeah, Rekt is kind uh, of banned as well. <laughs> he's no, banned just, as well. I, I'm just banning, banning all those who, who are unwilling to voice dox. Nah, just kidding. Yeah, but okay. uh, Rekt, Rekt did, did mention that his. Yeah, not, not willing to voice docs for now, at least. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I figured. Um, and you've already done Schizo. Uh, if you could, like, there are some people who are a little bit higher profile that I would love to hear. Like, Spreak um, is, a, is a fantastic blockchain sleuth. Um, Ooh. That would be really cool to have on. I don't think he's, I haven't heard him in an interview, so it'd be really cool if you could have him on. Nice. And I only one more name from you. One more. Uh... And who would I like to see on here? Uh, you know what? Get get a uh, get Gabby on here. Get Mr. Right. Hines. Who? Get Gabriel Hines. All right. I I need you to link me for that. But yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll He's the one who takes his shirt is. off and runs around and talks to crypto. Oh, all right. Never heard of him. Like honestly. Okay. All right. We can also have Moki. I mean, you have uh, DeFi Moki who who like or Mochi. Has this really sort of mixed breath. Uh, I don't know if they would voice box either. Uh, he, he, he is, he is. Okay. Has he already come on? No, he has not. Um, okay, I've, so like, I've I, I want to know. Yeah, he yeah, had an interview with know someone his, else. Uh, what's that? He did an interview with someone else. Or so I think he would be interesting specifically because of his comeback story, right? He's a phenomenal Dune wizard or Dune dashboard wizard. Uh, he did like clearly make a few mistakes with shilling products without disclosing it. I think he deserves a, a comeback. I think his products in Dune deserve more highlight. So it would be, I think that would be a really compelling interview to, to speak with him and like see how he's feeling about his, his resurgence and comeback and uh, overcoming his mistakes. Right. Nice. That'd be very interesting to hear actually. I, I can reach out to him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me, man. It's been great. Uh, I really enjoyed it. No, thank you so much for coming on to share your experience and thoughts, man. Really, really happy to have you on here to share all this with me and the audience it's as well. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. Yep. And to, to everyone listening, we will link everything down below. Um, the DeFi Dojo, his YouTube and his Twitter down below as well. Thank you guys for listening and thank you again, Stephen, for joining me. Bye-bye. <laughs>